welcome to Breaking Bread. This is the show where we explore food through culture, conversations, and a whole lot of curiosity. I'm your host, Lo Yi Jun, a food writer and recipe developer from the Jun and Tonic blog. On this season of our show, we are diving headfirst into Malaysia's fine dining scene. So throughout the season, we'll be speaking with renowned chefs and industry peers throughout the country to learn about their journey, understand their cooking philosophies, and get an insider's look at the current state of the Malaysian food industry. Our guest for this episode is Tyson G, who's the executive chef at Atas Modern Malaysian Eatery at the Rumah Hotel and Residences. Chef Tyson hails from Canada, but he's done some amazing work championing local ingredients and flavors over here in Malaysia for the past four years. So on today's episode, we'll hear about his story, get his view on the Malaysian dining industry, and explore the present and future of contemporary Malaysian dining. So without further ado, here's Tyson G. Hi, Chef Tyson. Welcome onto the show. Hey, June. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time out of your certainly busy schedule. But yeah, I, I thought just to begin, for those who haven't heard of your name or haven't heard of uh, your restaurant, Atas, um, yeah, can you just give us a brief introduction of yourself as well as Atas? Yeah, so for me, uh, originally from Canada, I guess born, born and raised in Canada, I did all of my formal training there. There was through small independent restaurants as well as hotels. Um, it was there that I was doing a lot of cooking competitions as well that I got onto what was called Culinary Team Canada. So with that, I was exposed to, um, how do I put this, a lot, a lot of, I guess, more, more of an international uh, view of, of cooking. Where I was able to travel the world and do competitions and basically represent Canada as an ambassador and yeah, so from there, I did that while working full time, doing my apprenticeship for about two and a half, almost three years. Then I thought it was time for me to to leave Vancouver, so I ended up moving to Melbourne, Australia, where I was with the Park Hyatt Hotel down there for just just over four and a half years. So I started there as a junior sous chef, worked all the way up to a chef de cuisine in their fine dining restaurant. Then I felt like it was time to move on to a, a new and bigger challenge. That's when the Ruma, they found me down there and they dragged me up to KL. <laughs> when, here I am now. I've been in KL just, just over four years now. And, you know, loving loving every bit of it. You know, I think it's a, it's a very great food city. It's it's still very young, still very dynamic. There's still a lot, a lot going on. So a, a bit about Atas. So Atas food, we like to call it uh, modern Malaysian or just, just modern, you know, contemporary style food. So basically what we're focusing on, is we're really focusing on the tawar of Malaysia, Malaysian ingredients, Malaysian flavors, you know, working with lots of local producers and, take, you know, really viewing the food through, I guess, the eyes of, of, of a foreigner or, or, you know, through myself and kind of reinterpreting what I think, you know, how you know how to really really utilize all these ingredients and make them a bit more uh give them more more of a spotlight you know I've, i found that a lot of the local ingredients are they're, they're thought of to be very low class they, they're, they're perceived as very cheap you know they're, they're an afterthought where a lot of people you know consumers here they they really prefer to have you know everything imported 
whether it's vegetables, it's seafood, it's meat. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to really show, I guess, reintroduce to them that they have really great products and produce available here. And they just need someone to bring them and really highlight what's great and available locally. Yeah. So from your whole culinary background, you came from Canada and then you worked in, in Melbourne. And I feel like Malaysia seems like an odd choice. Um, like not many people, not many chefs end up in Malaysia. So how did that whole process happen? And, and ha- being someone who haven't had much contact with Malaysian food, how did that initial decision to to come to Malaysia, how, how did that whole thing happen? Well, I guess it was a, it came to a bit of a surprise to me where I was, I guess, scouted or found down in Melbourne. Um, then, you know, you, you go through the whole formal interview process with the company, then they invited me to come up to uh, come up to Malaysia to basically do like a, like a cooking trial or cook for them. Because obviously they, they want to see if you can cook. Uh, well, when they invited me, they basically gave me a week a week's notice. Uh, so it, it, it was a bit rushed. I was, I was hoping for a bit more because I was quite busy at work, but the CEO and the CEO of the company were all in... Kale at the time, so they said, okay, you, you have to be here on this day, no exceptions. Wow. And this was when you were still in, in Melbourne? Yeah, still in Melbourne, yeah. I'm going, great. Um, okay. Uh, tough, but okay, doable. <laughs> so, you know, th- throughout the whole process, they, they were telling me about what the concept of the restaurant was. They are telling me it's, it's going to be this, this modern Malaysian eatery. They said, don't worry, we, we, don't, we don't need you to cook modern Malaysian food. We just want you to cook whatever you're comfortable cooking. But I said to myself, you know... I don't want to just cook, you know, what, what, what I'm currently cooking right now. I want to, you know, you always want to kind of challenge yourself and push yourself a bit more. So I had, I had one week's notice. I'm not familiar with Malaysian food as a whole at all. I don't have any Malaysian friends. I've never really ate Malaysian food other than, than laksa. I didn't even really even know what nasi lemak was at that point. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So Google was my best friend at that point. So you, it went into Google and I basically just tried to dissect exactly what Malaysian food is and through that that's how I kind of came up with this whole concept of focusing on Malaysian ingredients so then you start doing all this research and all these great local ingredients came up so when I actually sent over my my, my shopping list or my, my product list for them they were shocked because they didn't know half of the ingredients on that list oh wow what 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 was some of the ingredients oh you know just like things like again like your ulam rajas your there was a, there's that thing called Sabah snakegrass. All these little, little things that they knew when they were younger, but completely forgot about as, you know, as, as they got older, because, you, you know, you obviously you stop eating these, these kampong-style ingredients. So they were shocked. You know, so they also had trouble sourcing them because they didn't know how to, who or how to source them through. Because, again, back then, most of the major food suppliers to the hotels and restaurants, they don't carry these ingredients either. Mm. So... They, they struggled a bit, but then I ended up finding people as well. So I gave them contact somehow. Wow. And, and all this was done like in Australia to facilitate all this. Wow. And I, bas- I basically flew over. I think I arrived on a Sunday night. I prepared everything Monday. Then Tuesday by noon, I was presenting. Wow. And these are all dishes that you've sort of never made before. Never made before. Everything was first time. I kind of wow. went in and hope for the best. <laughs> Did they comment on which uh, which one was like the standout dish, perhaps, or, or something that that you remember? That I can't remember anymore. 
<laughs> that was four four and a half years ago. So. But it's clear that that they were certainly impressed by you. Yeah, yeah, they 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 offered they offered me the job the next day, so that that was that was the good part. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's quite the story. Cool. So I guess your website and and on a lot of I guess social media, you is describe it as a modern Malaysian eatery, right? Or, or I guess like you were saying contemporary as well. Can we? Can you break that down first? Like, what does it mean to be a a modern or contemporary restaurant, and how strongly Malaysian is it in its identity? Well, I guess being a modern restaurant, we really don't have very many boundaries to what we can do. You know, it's, it's quite open in a sense where we're not. 100% Malaysian, we're not French, we're not Italian. We, you know, we, we can take different stylings or different um, flavor profiles and then adapt it to what's available locally here. Uh, as, as I was saying that we, we try to, you know, curate and procure our menu based on what's available locally. So, we, you know, we, we deal with a lot of local suppliers such as uh, Little Farm on the Hill, Weeds and More, you know, all of our fishermen, they're all, majority of our fish is local aside from a few a few dishes where we we've, we tried to remove these dishes, but now people, they get so used to having them here that they get a bit upset <laughs> when, we, when we decide to remove them. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, can you give us some examples of, of dishes or typical flavor profiles that you that you have in, in the menu, whether current or, or previously? Um, yeah, give us some, like a flavor of uh, atas. But I guess the menu has has gone through very a lot of different transformations, especially since we first opened, and to where we are now. You know, when we first opened, obviously borders were still open, so we had a lot of uh, international travelers coming in, who were a bit more adventurous in that sense, who appreciated these unique local ingredients. And you know, one of, one of the dishes that we were used to do before was we had this uh, cured ocean trout, and we served it with this low, uh, a very kind of mild sambal belacan. So you have this, this kind of poppy, slightly spicy, acidic um, dressing on top of, you know, cured salmon with lots of uh, local herbs. You know, you had your ulam raja, we had the Thai basil, we had on Salome, we were finding um, fresh tamarind leaves. So you had this very textural first or starter, you know, some fried mm. onion, top tapioca crackers, so a, a lot, a lot going on, but it all, it all worked very well together. And that became one of our, I guess, go-to dishes for everybody that was coming here. Mm, it's almost like a signature dish. Almost. Yeah, and then, and then you know, it, it, it went through you know, three, four, five, diff- six different uh, revisions of it. And then we finally kind of completely changed it more recently to be, you know, now it's served with, you know, passion fruit, smoked sour cream, and lemon. Mm. So, it's, it's, you know, it's completely transformed. And, you know, that's the, the beauty of cooking is that, you know, food can go through so many transformations and have so many different versions of of the same dish and you know you look back now three years later and how much something has changed you know just by changing you know a few ingredients here and there mm, right so just like you're saying in the beginning when you first started atas the crowd was more international like travel was a thing back then so you were saying how international travelers are more adventurous in their eating habits right but in the past like one two years the over the pandemic, how has your menu shifted? Well, I wouldn't say, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the local Malaysian, the you know, the local market, they're not adventurous, but there's always that perception of value for money with with local ingredients. Right. Yes. And so it, it's it's hard to charge the price of of what you have. You know, when people know, okay, this this ingredient, I can just go to the local pasar and it's 
only if you ring it or, you know, they, they, don't, they don't really see all the work gone behind to, you know, sourcing some of these ingredients that mm. maybe they ate when they were very, very young, but they, they haven't seen for the past 20 years. So there's a, a lot of uh, storytelling that goes on, you know, throughout our menus that we try to almost re-educate the guests of what we're doing, what we're trying to do. And, you know, just, just highlight that you don't need everything with, you know, caviar, foie gras, it doesn't have to be mm. white either, or, you know, imported asparagus or white, you know, some, like these types of ingredients where, you know, we, we like to use, you know, the bunga kantan, you know, there's the dabai from, from Borneo, there's puchak paku, which can be very, you know, very great and very, you know, very interesting, you know, but it's just putting our own little spin on them and trying to just bring them up to, 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 you know, give them and give them the, the respect that they deserve as a very high quality and high class ingredient. Mm, yeah, yeah, I can totally see that in many of the dishes that you have, even in your current menu where, you know, you have elements, many elements of uh, Malaysian ingredients, but also presenting them in a way that Malaysians have not necessarily had them before. Yeah. And looking at your, I, I just had a look through like your current menu and I, and I saw like a common pairing that you had was with beef and Sambal, it seems like because you had a, a starter that was like beef tata with somehow asam and like gailan, but mm. you also have a, a wagyu with uh, foie gras and a sambal butter, which both of both dishes I, I've, I haven't had before. But wow, in my head, these are just like really strong flavors that I'm like, wow, it must be a really punchy dish. Yeah, tell, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, and, and that's what it is. It's just that, you know, with the sambal asam, it's, it's this beautiful sambal that it's not too much heat, but it has that. You know, there's a lot of sugar, there's a lot of tamarind, chili, onion, garlic. So it has this very big, beautiful, punchy flavor to it. So it helps cut through the richness of the beef, you know, if you're going for the tartare. And this other one that we have for the for the wagyu, quite similar, but it's a bit more tart. So you have a lot of, a bit more tamarind, there's a bit more chili in there. So it helps cut through, through the richness of the wagyu, as well as, you know, the fattiness of, of the foie gras. And it, it all just kind of melts together and makes this beautifully balanced dish. Mm, right. And another thing that I noticed in your menu as well, and this is quite rare in a lot of fine dining or like atas places, but you have durian in your dessert menu. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the stench, especially when you bring it in? Well, we bring it in, but we, you know, we, we obviously we, we process it in, in another kitchen where the, the stench doesn't leak out into the restaurant. All oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you have yeah. to have like a separate space for it. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> you know, it's just a beautiful ice cream. And, you know, we, we when durians are in season, we, we basically, we bring everything in, we, we pull it all apart and then we just freeze down all the pulp. So we have enough for, you know, for the next couple of months until like, you know, the, the season kind of comes back again. Our ice cream is probably one of the top sellers for our desserts as well. And that's the only dish now that's been on since the opening menu. Right. Does it take a lot to convince non-Malaysians to have it? Just out of curiosity. Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, generally, if there's a non-Malaysian in there, is they're there with a Malaysian friend who appreciates durian. So it's more so them getting it and then just sharing a spoon. Mm. Before we continue our conversation, we are going to take a quick break. Stay with us, you're listening to Breaking Bread on BFM 89.9. Welcome 
welcome back to Breaking Bread. I've been speaking with Tyson G, who's the executive chef at Atas Modern Malaysian Eatery at the Ruma Hotel and Residences. We've been hearing about the flavors and some of the dishes that Chef Tyson has been known for at Atas, but now we're turning our focus to the Malaysian fine dining scene as a whole. I'd like to pivot our conversation to perhaps something that we touched on just now. So this whole season of, of uh, Breaking Bread is to do with uh, looking at the Malaysian food industry, especially the, the fine dining food industry, because I feel like that is where a lot of the most exciting things happen and, and that will sort of have, have like a trickle-down effect on the whole representation of the cuisine on the world's food stage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you were touching on, on something that is very true across the board in, in Malaysia and in, in that Malaysians are very price sensitive, especially when it comes to our own local ingredients, local flavors, right? Like when you present them with flavors that, that they are familiar with, ingredients that they've had before, whether recently or in their childhood, uh, there's always a sense of, oh, it should be cheap. Like Malaysian food should be cheap. But that also presents like a really big challenge for Malaysian food to progress, right? And yeah, so I was just wondering from your point of view, have you seen that change over the past four years you've been in Malaysia? And and where do you see that move, moving forward? How can we break or change that mentality? I think it's, it's one of those things that definitely just takes time to educate the, the, the mass, to educate the market. Yeah, I think since we've opened and you know, we've become a bit more established. I think originally there's only a, a small handful of restaurants that were really championing local, local ingredients, but now more people have adopted, you know, lo- local ingredients and, you know, they've dispersed them throughout the menus, whether they are Italian or they're a French restaurant or, you know, just a you know, modern European restaurant that people are, stout, you know, now really, especially now that bringing in imported ingredients have, has become so much more difficult now with mm. with COVID, you know, and shipments not being a bit more inconsistent. So people have had to shift their focus to kind of, you know, really look at what's available here in, the, in their own backyard. And, you know, the consumer as well, they're, they're starting to appreciate more now that not just us, but, you know, other other restaurants, whether they're, they're more high-end or they're, you know, more cafes, that they're seeing more and more of the, these local flavors being kind of mixed throughout the menu. So it's being integrated I guess back into not society, but just you know, in, into restaurants where people can you know they see, and then it's it's happening in so many places now that they it kind of just they forget that it's an actual local ingredient. Hmm. What's like one ingredient that you are particularly fond of, or, or perhaps like an ingredient that is uniquely Malaysians, but Malaysians might not be very familiar with? Ooh, you know, there's one, but it's more from Sabasara, which I was saying earlier, is Dubai's. So Dubai, I don't know, the, the best way to call it is like a, like a jungle olive. You know, yeah, it, so I've, yeah, I've heard of it. I, I've, I haven't had this. I have a pack in my freezer, actually, that a friend gifted, but I haven't actually had it. Yeah, yeah, t- tell me about that. It's just, it's, it, it literally just looks like a giant olive. And, you know, the taste is, is you know, we had them before uh, last season. And we, we, we pickled them down or brined them just like an olive. And we then ended up uh, taking, removing the seed. And then make, you know, we did, we, we made like a, like a, a dabai tapanad with them. We made it some different kind of purees with them. And it works exactly the same way. And, the, and I said that the taste and even the colors, it's very similar to an olive. And, but a lot of people 
don't know what it is because it's especially uh, main like uh, West Malaysians don't know, but you know West Malaysians they ha- a lot of them have no idea unless they've been over you know to Sabah Sarawak during during the season and and you know ha- being able to try it. But you know you can eat it like that. You know you some people just eat them whole and they just dip it in soy sauce chili patty or they dip it in a bit of salt and sugar and mm. you know it's a, it's a it's a great snack for drinking too. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think there are so many ingredients like that that are just like spread out throughout different parts of Malaysia. That, us especially in the city around like Klang Valley, we we don't really have a deeper connection with. And I think it's great that you you're bringing these ingredients, these flavors to to the forefront. And yeah, I wanted to touch on something as well, where because I guess with you being Canadian and and you doing Malaysian food, that can seem like a almost like a tricky prospect there. And I personally think you've done some some great work to to showcase the cuisine and ingredients of our country. But I was just wondering, have you gotten any flack or negativity with people saying how, oh, how can you as a Canadian do justice to Malaysian food? And maybe there's like a small sense of like, oh, cultural appropriation or anything that anyone has, has brought on to, to you? Uh, I- there was a bit at first, but I think it was just more of a shock to the market, kind of just coming mm. to to try a, a very different kind of food. Because when we first opened, people were expecting something very different. They were expecting more like deconstructed Malaysian food, and they were expect you know they were they were looking for something that would like you know, like your rendang on the menu. They're, they're looking for their fried noodles, and they're looking for uh. their nasi lemak. And obviously, we have not, not, none of these available on the menu, and it was completely different. And they're going. How how is this Malaysian? And then so you would go there and you know you would explain why this is Malaysian because you know it's it's made with locally grown Malaysian products. You know the plates you're eating off of are made here in Malaysia. You know the flavors are very much Malaysian, even though if you really th- even if, but you had, they had to really kind of think and identify how and why they were Malaysian, and then then they would understand. So as I'm saying, it's a bit more about the educational process of just you know, teaching the consumer, you know, that they have really great products available here and that not all the, these local ingredients, you know, are tampon ingredients. Mm, yeah. And education seems to be a common vein uh, across the the past two interviews that I've, I've done uh, with Chef Jun and with uh, Nicholas as well. Um, we were saying how, you know, for the whole industry to move forward, there needs to be a lot of education or, or I guess like, changing of, of certain mindsets and I was wondering from from your perspective uh, what do you think it would take for Malaysia's food scene to be more visible or more well represented in internationally especially I think it, it needs some more people to come into the market and just really establish themselves here it's not something that's going to happen overnight it's not going to be something that's going to happen in you know in the next year but it's just something that just needs to happen and mature I guess a bit organically, I think there was just this uh, food festival that just started this year called, or last year called Kita. And I think it's a, mm. it's a great step in the right direction because it's trying to put, you know, Malaysian restaurants on, on the spotlight and letting the world know that, you know, there's more to Malaysia than just uh, nasi lemak. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I mean, that is the typical dish that people always identify Malaysian cuisine with, but mm-hmm. it's really so much more than that. Mm. And in the past four years, um, for you personally, what are some of your biggest learnings that you've had? I think, you know, obviously learning with a very diverse, uh, a, a diversified team, you know, obviously, you know, you have teams with, with very different cultures here and 
learning how to adapt and you know learning how to be able to work together to create a very good product working with all these different ingredients and always trying to source new new ingredients is always the, the biggest challenge when you're working all the time so you know you're trying to find time to go out to the to the local markets and really going to to this even the even smaller local markets that are you know way outside on the outskirts of town to talk to people and mm. you know get them have them to get to know you so they they always think of you when they get something new and exciting in and that's how I was able to get to know a, a lot of the ingredients because people get to know you and they think oh that Tyson he's the chef he, he always likes all these little crazy little wild things so they would always bring it to me or always send these things to me Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, what what wild things have you unearthed in, in this uh, way? So, you know, that, that's one thing we had the Dubai. There's the, the Midan from, uh, again, from Borneo, which is very similar to the Puchak Paku. Uh, off the top of my head, there's the Bambangan Mango. Ah. There's the Ankabang. Right. So, you know, there are local, local uh, fresh peppercorns. There's the peanut butter fruit. What's a peanut you know, butter fruit? I've never had that before. I, I really don't know. <laughs> no, it tastes like peanut butter, and it's from East Malaysia. Yeah, all the all, all, all these crazy crazy things they all come from East Malaysia, and this is where you, you know, you you see things that you you know you, you would see in a movie in a, in a sci-fi movie, and you know that you would just never see wow. anywhere else in the world. You know, and there's another there's another fruit. It's kind of like a cross between like a jackfruit and a durian called tarap. Ah, yes, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. It's really like an un- untapped food world out there. I mean, there's, there's so much interesting stuff out there, but it's just difficult to bring it in, into the restaurant because there's inconsistencies in supply. You know, logistics is, is always a big headache trying to bring things from East Malaysia to West Malaysia. And... Mm, yeah, but I, I think it's really cool that you are actively making an effort to to bring these ingredients these things to the forefront and i think that probably contributed to um one of the recent accolades that you had as well the the 50 best discovery list yeah con- congrats on on that um much. yeah and moving forward into 2022 and and beyond as well have you thought about any plans that you, that you have for the coming year well i think it's, it's kind of trying to get back to our, our our i guess our roots a bit you know focusing on diving or not really focusing but really diving head head first back into what we were doing originally and you know really bringing some of the, these hard to find uh ingredients back onto the menu and because during covid it, it became extremely difficult to get anything from uh west uh, east malaysia mm-hmm. so it's, it's trying to reconnect with all of our previous suppliers and see how we can you know consistently bring some of these unique ingredients back onto the menu but at the same time we're going to try to elevate the menu even further you know, we're working on getting a better um, supplier for, for our, our local seafood because we had some issues there where people kind of just went disappeared. Mm. A lot of suppliers that we were dealing with just disappeared through, through COVID. So it's just trying to find new, new sources and new suppliers that kind of resonate with you that have the same um, mindset. Mm. Right. So it's kind of resetting and, and making sure you're in, the, in a good space moving forward for the next few years. Mm. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. And I, I definitely have to make a trip over there soon. I've only been to your place once and I don't, I don't think that's enough times. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, just as a final question, what's a, what's a message or um, note that you wish to 
leave the Malaysian eater or the Malaysian public that you wish they perhaps it could be something that they knew more about when it comes to food or perhaps something to do with your hopes and dreams for for the next few years for our industry um it's a good one but i think just just go out you know go to a restaurant any restaurant doesn't have to be here anywhere but go, go to a restaurant with an open mind you know and really really try to experience what the chef is trying to do what the chef is trying to cook you know understand the story about what they're you know the story behind what they're doing and just enjoy you know enjoy the dining experience enjoy the food mm. you know Mm, yeah, that's so true. We, I, I feel like sometimes we get so bogged down with like talking about all these things that we sometimes forget to enjoy as well. Yeah, you forget mm. to enjoy. You forget to really savor what you're doing, savor what you're eating. You just kind of eat. You know, you're you're more focused on. You know, it's, I think it's good that you focus on who you're with, but you know, also focus on the food and focus on the the attention to detail has gone into what the chef has done and. Yeah. Mm, mm, great advice. Mm. And for those who have not been to your restaurant, uh, can you share with us uh, where it is or what are some of the must-haves for first-time diners especially? And also, um, perhaps for, for those who already are familiar with your place, where can they keep up to date with all that you do? Oh, I think best is, you know, is our social media channels, you know, whether it's the Atas Facebook or the Atas Instagram, it's, it's usually regularly updated on what we're doing. You know, I think definitely... Mm-hmm try to come to one of our long bar dinners. So the long bar dinner is where we basically it's a chef table. It's a very ever revolving menu that changes each time we do it. Whether we focus on a ingredient, we focus on a region, a producer, a supplier, or just a seasonal change. It's a very omakase style menu. It can range from nine to 12, 15 courses. Each one's different. And each one's also has a different unique wine pairing. So we bring in, Wines are off our list just for that day. It's a 100% different menu from our a la carte menu, and it's generally limited to 8 to 10 packs. Wow, cool. And when, how, how often do these dinners happen? Uh, depending on what's going on, but usually once to twice a month. So oh, nice. Two, and then two sessions on a Friday and a Saturday, so... Mm, cool I'll keep my eye out for those and uh, yeah I just want to say thank you so much for uh, coming on to, to our show to share thanks for having me that is all for this week's show to listen to more episodes you can find us on iTunes Spotify or on the BFM app and if you're hungry for more food news and fun recipes you can keep up to date with me on Instagram I'm at Jun and Tonic that's J-U-N dot A-N-D dot T-O-N-I-C. This is Jun signing off. You've been listening to Breaking Bread on BFM 89.9.